Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat, a show where I interview business executives, talent development professionals, and thought leaders to find out what has been successful and challenging in the world of talent development. My objective is to share ideas, valuable lessons, tools, advice, and trends. My hope is that all of this will ultimately help you, the listener, expand your knowledge, grow your career, and accelerate your success as a talent development professional. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm so excited that you're joining me today for an interview with Deep Mahajan. And Deep is Senior Director and Head of People Development and Culture at Nutanix, a leader in hyper-converged IT infrastructure with over 5,000 employees. Deep is passionate about unlocking learning from the confines of workshops and classes so it can truly flow into an organization's culture. She is an expert on leading cultural transformations and getting L&D to strategically contribute to business success through cutting-edge innovations. Deep, welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. Thank you very much. It is my pleasure to be here. Yeah, so great to have you on. It's funny how these things come together. We were introduced by my friend Liston Witherill, uh, who runs a great podcast on sales. And we just hit it off right away. We've been chatting away. Almost almost forgot to hit record again. But I'm (laughs) I'm glad I did because I know you have a lot of great experience to share. And I definitely want to get into the topics of culture, especially of leading this cultural transformation, you know, how HR and L&D can be more of a partner to the business. And hopefully we'll get some time to talk about HR technology and analytics as well. Um, before we do, let's start with a little bit of your background. How did you get to where you are today? All right. Uh, well, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm also looking forward to our conversation today after speaking to Liston last time. You know, he sort of told me what you do. And I think there are definite connect. Really happy to share my experience, you know, here as well as the rest of my career. So let's start there. My career, you know, is around 19 years long now. I started after my MBA from Pune University. I specialized in HR, graduated, worked for a fast-moving consumer good company. That was the beginning of my career. In fact, I started in the recruitment function, uh, was handling the management training program for that organization, and then moved on to Shell, which was my first HR generalist role. I left Shell in an HRBP position, but within Shell, Shell is a huge organization, lots of opportunities. I got a chance to work into the DNI space, and that is where I, I discovered that I think I'm, I'm leaning more towards the learning and development, talent development space. And therefore, my next stint from Shell was into consulting, into HR consulting, where I 
handled projects on organization effectiveness, OD, again, talent development, you know, for IT organizations and technology firms primarily. I have taken a couple career breaks in between to navigate through life. And uh, coming back after having spent time in consulting, I wanted to be with an organization to, to see that how are those solutions that you create as a consultant really work? And VMware was my first uh, break uh, coming back from a career break uh, as such. And that is where I was handling management development, uh, you know, got a chance to get exposed to a lot of things on the leadership side and saw how those solutions that you create can actually evolve, grow, continue to improve. And that was a fascinating journey. I was very ambitious to to really increase the scope of my work. And when Nutanix opportunity came, which was basically a leadership opportunity to handle the entire talent development and culture space, we call it people development and culture at Nutanix. That was really, really meaningful for me. And I have been on that role for the last two years now, handling the portfolio that covers learning and development, people programs and culture. Oh, that's really cool. And you spent some time in consulting, which not a lot of people have, and I, I love the consulting world. But I'm curious, what did you learn from that experience that's still useful for you in your, your sort of in-house L&D role today? Yeah, a very good question, uh, because I do actually go back to experience so many times. I feel like one of the things that L&D teams would tend to do is to come to solutions very quickly and not spend enough time in exploring the problem and in really getting close to the customer, understanding what they are thinking, right? And that is what I learned in consulting. You know, how do you use questions to help your customer also gain more clarity on what their problems are? You know, sometimes questions can really help you there. So what's the art of questioning to really get good information? And how do you spend time with that information, just staring at it to discover what the problem really is before you go on to solution. Because when you do solution making, going through that process of problem identification and deep customer understanding, your solutions are much more effective, right? So that is what I continue to do as an L&D professional. I consult with my business leaders. I encourage my team, even when they're doing an intact team training session, to follow the same process. And that results in us creating more effective solutions which have a business relevance and meaning and impact you know that is associated with it rather than something that is coming off the shelf that's something that is a canned uh, solution for a you know generic set of problems so i think that one is a big one Oh, definitely. When I've been out there, not only running this podcast, but going to conferences, talking to people in L&D, and I ask people about mistakes they've made, failures along the way, by far the number one thing I hear is, I got a request and I jumped to a conclusion too quickly without fully investigating you know, how this fit into the business, what the needs are. And I wish I would have taken more of a consultative approach. And when I talk to people like you who have a consulting background, they get that training, right? the experience to know that I need to always dig a little bit deeper, ask a few more questions, really understand what's the why behind the request. You know, maybe training is not the answer. Maybe it's something else to make sure that we're doing the right thing for the business. Absolutely. In fact, start with the why is one of our cultural principles. Mm. And, you know, that is coming from the fact that you need to first 
ask the why question and then then go on to solution there's one more thing that i learned in consulting which is bias for action which is also a cultural principle but i feel like as a consultant you are very you look at work in a very projectized manner you have a clear Definitely. delivery plan and and i think that effectiveness and the consultants are known for it they're working working with clients they have revenue responsibilities uh, so they do that for those reasons but i feel like lnd teams can do just the same like there's nothing stopping them from projectizing their work and and really chasing deliverables uh, more effectively oh totally i mean having worked in consulting especially project based you think about the incentives if i'm getting paid based on a project i want to get that project done so i can move totally. on to the next project whereas if you're an internal role you're on a salary not saying a lot of people do this, but you yes. know, if you don't get it done today, you'll get paid tomorrow and you'll get paid the yeah. next day. So why not put it off a little bit longer? Yeah, our founder always says this, that you know, run your team, run your function as a business. You know, mm. Think of your clients as your customer, create your solutions as products, market them, have a strategy around measuring their success. So you know, all of this is like consulting world, right? So yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me, let's talk a little bit more about that because I've heard this come up a few times with guests, but not a lot of companies or, or organizations are doing this. How do you run people development as a business within Nutanix? How big is your team and how do you look at it? How does that serve you to say, okay, we're running this as a business. We got to look at metrics, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's um, uh, let's see how I can keep this uh, short and crisp answer because uh, you know when you're talking about the business, it can get very expensive. Sure. Let's start with the size of the team. So I have a global team. I lead the global team. So I have regional and and then the central team that is based out here in San Jose, our headquarters. The strength of my team is about nine members right now, and it includes about three, five, five in the regions and the rest here. So that's how we are split up. Uh, sorry, it's the reverse. Five here and the rest in the regions. That was a mistake there. In terms of how we run it as a business, I think the starting point of it is how do you understand your clients and how do you really look at them to be your customer groups, just like a, a business would do. I think this the foundation of it is to pivot all your products, all your solutions, your entire work based on your customer groups, right? So that's the starting point. So in case of talent development, we classify all our learning and development offerings, strategy, investment, budget based on our customers' segments, right? So we segment our customers as employees, managers, leaders. And then, we, then there are micro-segmentations within these categories in terms of employees who are new employees versus tenured employees, managers who are new managers or newly promoted managers versus you know the, the mid-experience category and the more-experience category, and similarly for leadership. And then we segment, uh, okay, where do we want to focus and what are our priority areas? What are our biggest business challenges that we are trying to solve? And which of these groups would need what kind of development which will help us meet those challenges, right? So that's the whole basic idea of how we think about our work, right? So that's number one. Number two, we are shifting, you know, like the whole industry is shifting from a product mindset to a customer mindset, we are also going through that transition internally. Are we unraveling ourselves as an experience to our customer, right? So if you are a new manager in Nutanix, what is the first thing that you experience from a talent development perspective? What happens, what comes naturally to you in stealth mode, you know, in your inbox as you work? What comes more structurally? That whole experience design has some method to it. You know, it cannot happen in default, right? Where we felt that 
aha happened for us is that we were creating these products. They were hitting our customers from all different point of views. Uh, but when we took, took that chance of really understanding what is our customer environment, how do these present, these products really present themselves in the life or a experience journey of our customer? That is when we started thinking of a different design, a different solution, a different methodology. And uh, because now we are caring more about the customer's experience rather than the product's adoption. Right. So that, again, changes a lot of things for us because we take decisions in terms of whether something's going to be digital, whether something's going to be in person based off of how it's going to play for our customers experience. Right. So that is from at a strategic level, uh, thinking of a customer experience and not product delivery is a shift. You know, that's how we run the business of L&D. And at the third level, uh, and that's very tactical, but I feel like it's very important that the language, you know, language is so key in terms of delivery of our products, you know, whether it's an event or a program, that it's very important to stay consistent with the language of the business, right? And one, spending time with business and understanding what's most important, what's a pain point for them is important, but most functions will do that, you know, that is the, the basic thing. But we have taken it to heart. We are, we are doing it to the extent that we model our product offerings like our actual customer, external customer product offering. So for example, Nutanix has, you know, three tiers of products. We have core products, essential products, enterprise products, which we give to our actual customers, our IT clients, uh, the hyper-converged infrastructure products. We have classified our management development offerings also as core essentials and enterprise, Right. Now, when we do that, what happens is that the managers who are, you know, sales managers and engineering managers, when they are selling these products, creating these products, they already know core essentials enterprise, right? They know how they are, these three layers are different and they instantly get that, oh, okay, my development is also structured in the same way now, right? So they get that instant uh, understanding. They see the connect. There is that learning curve that you have instantly compressed because you have maintained that consistency but instead of your technology products, now you're seeing development offerings and you find it easy to understand and it's all connected. You know, so that's from a language perspective, from a, how we are communicating our products standpoint, I think that is also where uh, you have an opportunity of running talent development. Yeah, all those things are so important. I mean, you're really thinking about not just what is this product or solution we're putting out there, but what is the overall experience that our managers, our end users are going to go through, our customers? What does that experience look like? Do they have a great experience with us? Do they want to keep coming back and engaging in more development and, and want more from us as you would if you were a company putting stuff out to customers? And then I love that idea of the language being consistent with the business. It's so important to have that understanding and you know, one of the strengths I was telling you before we started recording, I worked seven years at BTS and they're still my partner in, in running a lot of business simulations. One of our strengths and what I'm still really good at, I think, is coming into a business, learning how it works and then speaking that language so that people are surprised that you don't actually work there. But that's one of those like little things that people don't think about that makes it so much more effective Absolutely. when you're speaking their language versus if you're just talking about a hot dog stand and you're running an IT business and they're like, you don't know what we what we do. So right. you don't get this and we're not going to listen to you. Totally. Very, very relevant. Correct. That's also relevant in culture. And you know, you mentioned before that you've been involved in cultural transformations and have some great experience there. There's a lot of companies out there going through different types of culture 
digital strategy transformations. What is your, I know you have some experience there. What's your philosophy on leading a successful cultural transformation? Mm-hmm. Right. We have a long-term vision, right? So success is defined on whether we achieve as a company our purpose that we are all very, very aligned towards. So whether we are successful or not, time will tell. But yes, I do have experience on taking the company through some you know, significant cultural transformation. And that basically is something that will come in all organizational uh, life journeys, if I was to say, right? We were a startup. 10 years back, we completed, we finished 10 years this year itself in September. When you are a startup, uh, the environment is very much different. You know, there is a lot of bias for action, insurgency. It's a smaller group. So the communication is very, very free flowing. Decisions are faster. And then as you grow up, like uh, post IPO, what we realized was that, first of all, we were as ambitious as we were as a startup. And we wanted to continue to have that founder's mindset. We we wanted to continue to have that insurgency of really going towards being an icon, right, in the Silicon Valley. And we are very committed to that purpose now. But we didn't want to slow down. We didn't want our own growth to give us the complexity which will hamper our speed, right? Which will hamper our success. And therefore, uh, we were very proactive about driving a culture transformation that will help us uh, live through that period of transformation where we are growing up to being a bigger company. You know, it's almost like there are some things that you can't help because of growth, but then there are some things that you can. And I think being aware and being proactive about leading those cultural transformations always helps. And that's where we started. So uh, we had a set of values, uh, the three H's, honest, hungry, humble, with heart. Those are the four values, which the company has, you know, lived, breathed, and people were very aware of and aligned to all through the years of our startup, you know, startup phase. We realized, though, that we needed to give people more clarity in terms of what these values mean. Because, uh, like I said, we were growing and many, many new people were joining us. And, you know, whenever you take a new person, a whole new culture gets added to the organization. You know, how do you then say that, okay, how does things happen here? What are some of the principles we want to stick to? And that is where we felt like we needed to do more work in terms of articulating our culture. It's no longer possible to just naturally expect people to know what it means. So we took that step and we said that we're going to write 12 cultural principles. And those were very, very behavioral action-focused statements around what does it mean to practice these values. Our founder, our CEO, he was significantly involved in that work, as was the leadership. Uh, We gave it a lot of attention. We did a full event to launch these cultural principles. We involved our employees into the process, you know, and we, we said that this is what we are saying. And some of those principles were coming from the good of the past, you know, some things that we wanted to retain, that we've done well and we don't want to forget. But some of them were new. And that was the transformation part, right? Because whenever you introduce something new, that has changed. And that invites resistance, that invites, you know, questions, you know, and it needs that commitment, it needs communication, it needs leadership support to really make sure that we are again explaining the why for the new and making sure that there is clarity and commitment to driving those because those are the new behaviors 
along with those old behaviors are going to drive us to the next phase, right? That's important that we make those changes because things will not work the same way as they were working in our previous phase because we are growing, our realities are changing, right? So that was basically the summary of the cultural transformation that we did in terms of, and we, I wouldn't say that we have done it. We are on the journey. You know, we did see some of our engagement getting affected due to this transformation, but we were very aware on why that is happening. And, you know, it, it is a natural process of the talent or employee population understanding it. And then there is alignment. And when there is like lack of alignment, the culture sort of sorts itself out, you know, over a period of time. And, and we're waiting for that phase to get over as we continue to stay proactive about driving clarity, driving our commitment and conviction that this is what and who we want to be as a company. So, yeah. Yeah. So there's important stuff in there. And I want to dig in a little bit more on when you're changing strategy, you're changing culture, you're introducing values, maybe you're adding one and you want to make sure people understand it. It's easy to go out there and have a town hall and say, hey, these are our values, right? And then people go, okay, great. And then they go back to work and they don't really immerse themselves in that. What are a couple of key things that you need to do to really make sure that people get it, that they understand it and that they're, they're coming along, especially knowing that you will have some detractors, some naysayers out there who say, ah, you know, they, they're always doing this. I'm not going to listen. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a dual approach there is important, top down as well as bottom up. Right. And it has to be simultaneous. And that's what we did. We first got our leaders into our fold uh, where we did do, you know, some interventions and event and a lot of leadership communication. Our executive leaders were fully bought onto it. And they started using the language of cultural principles, speaking it in emails. The culture words started getting trickled. And, and that's how everyone at the, in the leadership group became very convinced that, yes, this is the way to go. And, and this is how to do it. You know, it's not just about doing a program, understanding what they are and walking out of it with awareness, but it's also adopting them in terms of how you're having your feedback conversation using those principles and how you're writing your email with the title saying, I'm making these reorg changes. I'm going to say, you know, I believe in striving because that's one of our cultural principles, right? So those kind of things. So leaders were in, aligned and we proactively made sure that they are clear and they are bought on. Then Nutanix as a company is a very open culture. We use Slack. We use very, very open forums of communication. People rant about things. We actually have a channel on Slack called Rants. And yeah, and our leaders are on that channel and they chime in. They chime in. And, you know, so everybody is free because, you know, when you're running an organization, there are things that you complain about. But we encourage constructive, um, you know, complaints and, and feedback. And people are, you know, are there on ranch. So we used our channels, our open culture as a medium of involving our employees, right? So as soon as our leaders were aligned, when we launched culture principles to employees, we encouraged conversations around culture principles on these open forums. People chimed in, people chimed in with stories, people chimed in with their opinions saying, I like it, I don't like it. But eventually, so there was some good and there was some resistance, like you would say, right? There are naysayers. And we always know there are naysayers. But eventually what happened because of this bottom-up approach is that most people were bought in. And there were such ownership around principles that we saw, which was which was electric. For example, one of our Slack main Slack channels, a general Slack channel, somebody started a playlist 
for culture principles. We actually have songs that go with each of our culture principles, you know, like nice. start with a why. There's a Justin Bieber song called Purpose and I didn't know that and it's there <laughs> in the playlist and I'm like, wow. And it's organic, it's crowdsourced, you know, there is no company stamp on it, but people are doing that kind of stuff. You know, the marketing organization, the creative people, they created logos. Some of them are really funny, you know, and icons and cartoons and, you know, so they became organic and people now use it in meetings. Every meeting that I go to, you will see one or the other cultural principle getting mentioned. So I'm very proud of the way our employees responded to it. And I don't know, you know, it was, I mean, we didn't intend it to go it that way, but it really went more better than we expected in terms of how, you know, it is a topic of discussion. People are aware of it. There are still naysayers, I would say. There are still people who would say that, oh, you know, I think the four H's were just enough. We didn't meet 12 principles. But this, it is what it is. And we are still committed to saying, yes, mm-hmm. this is defining who we want to be. And we would continue to emphasize that their importance. I love this idea of having these open lines of communication, letting people really participate in it, good and bad, you know, letting people rant about things and participating in that because I think a lot of companies probably just try to pretend that doesn't exist, right? There's always going to be people complaining. You could either pretend it's not there or you could give people a forum and you can engage with it and hug your haters as uh, as I've heard someone say in the past. So that's really cool. And it's a great top down and you mentioned, of course, bottom up approach to cultural transformation. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, you know, as you're transforming things, shifting It's always a good idea to try to measure how things are going. This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is brought to you by Advantage Performance Group. We help organizations develop great people. For more information about this podcast and Advantage Performance, you can go to advantageperformance.com slash hot seat. And now on to the show. You mentioned to me before we started recording, I asked you about HR technology and analytics, and you said you're, you're kind of in the middle of the journey on that, which I think is always interesting to talk about as well. So tell me about your journey with technology and, and analytics and how you're leveraging those things. Uh, you mean to say how we are leveraging it for culture or generally for talent development? Maybe we could start with culture and then move into how you're doing with talent development. Sure. So on the culture side, uh, you know, our first goal was awareness, actually, because, you know, we were launching these 12 principles and, you know, we our first mission was like, let's make people aware of what they are, what they mean, right? That's the, the foundational criteria for success, so to say. And then the next would be adoption. You know, how are people adopting it and how are our processes sort of measuring up to our cultural principles? You know, are we using them for promotions, for hiring, for, you know, talent conversations and decisions? So from an awareness standpoint, we've used, you know, our engagement survey tool to be a measure of how people have, you know, what's the recall rate? That's that's one, right, on cultural principles. So we measured that. And then we have some questions that we track and plant every time there is an engagement survey. We, we touch employees every quarter, though we do like a full round of survey every six months, but we, we touch, we pulse them intermittently. And we always make sure that there are questions that contribute to our understanding on our cultural transformation within the engagement survey. So that's one method. It's a technology component as well for us, contributing to some of our dashboards internally. 
Apart from that, you know, most of our cultural measurement happens more anecdotally with leadership assessments, with our HRBPs who work very closely with our employees. We also track, you know, employee relations and what kind of problems are we seeing and are those transforming over time based on how we are driving our cultural initiatives, you know, because those two things uh, run uh, hand in hand. What else can I say is a measurement of culture for us? I would say that our journey is is very, very new. It's just been two years, you know, so awareness and adoption are the two things that we are measuring right now. I think an internal metric for us is how we are now adapting and transforming each of our people programs to also get in sync with culture, right? So the whole people experience, right, from recruiting, how is our recruiting, our talent uh, are based on a cultural principles-based interview, right? So that's one example of how we are adopting one process for it. Then onboarding, you know, the new hire experience, is that aligned? Are we making our new employees seeped into an immersive cultural experience as they join us? Is it in the first week we do that? And then as they go in, then all the development offerings that come to them, whether it's a training program or an event, how do they align to our culture and based on culture? How are the performance management process, the talent decisions around promotions, you know, are based on culture and how people are championing, you know, those aspects of working. So, you know, I think that's a journey and that's where I'm saying that we are aware of doing it like that way and we are doing it. You know, so adoption for us is also an internal metric on how we are now adapting each of these components to culture. Makes sense. And then how about on the learning and development side, as you're putting programs out there, how are you leveraging data maybe to try to start measuring the effect of those things? And are you bringing any other technology into some of the learning and development you do? Yeah. So yeah, so digital learning, you know, is the big thing within the learning and development space, you know, and there is no way out, you know, the way the teams are structured today, they, we have so many remote employees, we have employees who spend most of their time on the field, we are present in so many countries across the world. And it's very important that as we continue to expand and be bigger, uh, we have those threads and channels and mediums that keep us connected, that keep us together, right? And I think digital platforms really help us there, you know, because they help us deliver consistent experience across the board to all our employees. So to answer your question, you know, we have introduced quite a few digital learning platforms in our learning and development suite for our customer segments. And the benefit of digital learning platform is that they give you very rich data. Right. And they give us data in terms of the behavior of our customers. Right. When do they access? What do they access? What are they learning? What do they like more? Right. And we can even get predictive there to say that, oh, people are liking these kind of courses. What does it tell us about their learning needs? You know, what are they not finding there because of which they're continuing to search? Or what are they accessing more than once to tell us that this is a big need area? Right. So we do backing data analytics across our digital learning platforms, which really gives us insight in terms of developing our own strategy on where do we want to invest and where do we want to maybe explore more to say we don't understand why this is happening. And so we go to that group and are able to focus our problem finding to specific areas rather than keeping it at a generic level. So I would say that digital learning has really helped us, has opened up like a lot of data for us to analyze and draw insights from to further develop our strategy and programs. 
Yeah. And do you use any partners, vendors like Udemy or LinkedIn Learning or anything like that? Yeah. So LinkedIn Learning is our partner, you know, and they, that's our biggest employee learning, digital learning medium, right? So that's the first go-to, you know, that we send people to before we get more customized. Then we also have a manager learning portal, uh, Jhana, which is, which is now bought over by Franklin Covey. Uh, they mm. send newsletters to managers every week. That's a popular po- portal here for managers. So these are the two primary ones for these two customer groups. We are a member of CEB. You know, we do a lot of digital learning creation ourselves. So we create videos We for our people programs. Whenever we have check-in cycles, we do both type of videos. We do demo videos and we do skill learning videos where we send one minute video to our manager saying, if you're thinking how you will have the next compensation conversation uh, with your employee, and if you're nervous about it, here is a one-minute video, which will tell you two ways to do this, right? So uh, right. so we're doing a lot of digital learning content creation ourselves as well. I like that. Okay, so a mix from providers like uh, LinkedIn Learning and Jana, and then creating some internally as well. Deep, what's been your greatest accomplishment or proudest moment in your career so far? Okay. Okay. So I'll pick one. I think I've taken a lot of risks in my career, Andy. You know, I, uh, I've done things which I have never done before, right? And I think one of those things was this culture transformation journey that I described for, there was this, you know, I felt like nobody told me do this, but when I was doing my diagnostic with the business leaders, I felt that one of the things that we are missing as an organization is getting everybody under one roof and talking to them. You know, when you're talking of things like building culture, uh, you cannot entirely digitally build a culture over email, right? You need to get people together. You need to get that energy going. And uh, I was really passionate about doing this. It had never been done in Nutanix of getting everyone together under one roof and talk about culture, right? And it was a, you know, it was a risk because people are usually, you know, you have leadership meetings, you have business meetings, sales meetings, QBRs, you know, you, you don't have like a culture meeting, you know? So there were questions about whether this is worth it investment, whether it's a good use of time and what would be the content and whether people will even like it or not. Right. And I felt that it's a good solution while the world is talking about moving to digital. And I am a big proponent of moving to digital learning. I do believe that in-person meetings are relevant and that is where culture gets built. And so I made a case for doing an event like this with a huge scale event. We tied it to our sales kickoff event. We called it Global Leadership Experience Event. That was the event that we used to launch the culture principles. But it was a beautiful amalgamation of strategy and culture because I co-designed that event with my business leaders and I had business sponsors. So there was a good amount of content that was very business specific. Culture got sort of weaved into that and became a part of the environmental design. And the engagement levels of that event was huge. We got 100% positive response on Nice on that and this going up on stage and launching that event was a very, very gratifying moment for me, you know, which came through in the way I spoke there because I was so, uh, it was like a dream come true that uh, this is happening and it's going as it should. So I would consider that to be a a huge risk that I played and it went well and therefore a career accomplishment. That's so cool. I love that. And it relate to 
taking risks and putting on big events and the challenges that come with it, as well as, uh, you know, the pride as well, when things go well, mm-hmm. looking at the other side, what's been one of your greatest failures or mistakes in your career? And what did you learn from it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm actually focusing both these answers more on my Nutanix experience, not taking the full, you know, broad career approach there. So I'll, I'll mistake or rather I say learning. Yes, I mean, I think there are a lot of things like we've been in the building mode for the last two years in Nutanix. And, you know, when you build something, you know, you build one feature at a time. You know, if you're building a product, I'm just talking engineer language right now. Sometimes when you're doing that building, you tend to forget, like I mentioned earlier, the customer's experience of it, right? And you tend to get too focused on getting the product or adding features to the product, right? And I think one of the components which I wish I should have thought about earlier was the systems um, experience, you know, on how you're creating an architecture of HR systems that can suitably support the talent experience that you're creating, right? While I think we were doing the right things in terms of choosing the right systems for it. What it also led to is a multiplicity of platforms, you know, and therefore the user getting confused about where do I go for what? And now we are undoing that mistake. You know, I think we have realized it to say that, no, we want to be more customer experience focused and our customer has this pain point to see, I don't see all of these programs on the same platform, right? So what do I do? So now we have started undoing that mistake to say, okay, let's not have different things on different platforms. Let's make one platform the dwelling for the entire experience, even though it might mean some change for us. So we are now through that change process of making sure that our talent experience also get nicely relayed through the systems experience. And I wish I thought about it earlier, you know, so I think that is what I would consider to be something that I would probably be more conscious of next time around. Oh, excellent. I mean, we need these things to help us learn and improve for the future, right? So like you said, it's a a learning opportunity, a learning experience. Deepa, are there any trends, big trends in learning and development, people development that you're following that we haven't covered so far? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of my next big things is how we can leverage artificial intelligence, you know, to again, further enhance our customer experience, you know, so really, really looking forward to see if there are, there is innovation happening in the L&D industry space vendors, you know, especially technology vendors who are using this. And there are, I know that there are, you know, there are softwares being created to measure happiness of employees by looking at how they are using their email, their Slack, you know, what they are doing, not doing. I think I would love to receive those insights to then further become more and more pointed towards catering to exactly what they need, you know, customed to them learning, you know. And that will come with, again, more intelligence that we can get around how they work, what they like, what's their need area, which they may themselves not know, right? So I think artificial intelligence is going to be a trend that's going to be very defining in terms of how we evolve our L&D practice in future. What else can I say? I think virtual reality is the other thing, you know. I think L&D will always have to be on top of innovating and finding new ways to reach out to your customers, you know. So And, and those ways are... You know, can L&D happen through an application on the mobile phone? Can, can L&D happen through virtual reality? You know, so I think it's more about how we can be present in our customers' life more and more in stealth mode and in interesting ways. You know, I think that's going to be the next quest that me and my team will definitely focus on. 
Totally. And that's, I can see that becoming bigger and bigger in the future. Last question for anyone listening who is in talent development, looking for ways to accelerate their career, get to that next level, find more success. What's one more piece of advice you would give? Networking. (laughs) You know, I feel like learning from experiences is very, very important. You know, we try to do things ourselves. I think everyone, I wouldn't just say the newer generation, is very ambitious to create stuff, build stuff, leave their mark, leave their legacy. But before you do that, you know, you will get, you know, 100 years of experience if you talk to five people and, and look at what they've done in their 20 years. And very often we do miss out on that, right? So attending conferences, getting networked with people, finding opportunities to discuss the contemporary thought, listening to podcasts like yours, you know, where people come and share their experiences, maybe not best practice, but their journeys. I think that itself is so, so valuable because you get insights out of somebody else's experience. And that's one of my advice to anybody who's looking to learn in this space. I love it. I love it. I'm a huge fan of networking, a huge fan of learning. And I agree completely. You can learn so much faster by networking with people who have a lot of experience of course, reading, listening to great podcasts like this one. And I, that's why I started this podcast was to help people. I used to call it a conference in your pocket because I feel like people could go to maybe one or two conferences a year to learn from others. I can give you, you know, access to people like you who have a lot of experience every week. And then selfishly, I started there for me to network as well. <laughs> and you know, lo and behold, it's brought us together, which has been already, I'm just so happy that we connected and I know we're going to talk more. For anyone listening who wants to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so my LinkedIn profile is the best way to reach me. I suppose your podcast will have details around my LinkedIn profile. So I welcome anyone who wants to connect with me to reach out to me on LinkedIn and I'm happy to share via network to them. Cool. Yeah, we'll put a link to that. And if you're listening and you haven't connected with me or hit follow yet, make sure you do that as well. I'm posting content almost daily on LinkedIn, uh, interacting with people. I love that platform for you know networking, making connections, and learning as well. You follow great people and, and learn from them. So Deepa, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your knowledge and wisdom and for coming on the Talent Development Hot Seat. Thank you so much, Andy. The pleasure was all mine. All right. Take care. Hey friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am always grateful for everyone who tunes in, who listens, who subscribes, and who have left reviews for our podcast on iTunes. By the way, if you haven't done that yet, it would mean the world to me. Head on over to iTunes, take one minute, write a quick review. It helps our podcast grow, and I really appreciate your support. As my gift to you, I have created a report of the top five trends impacting talent development this year. And if you haven't grabbed that report yet, you can head on over to advantageperformance.com slash trends. That's advantageperformance.com slash trends. You can download my report of the top five trends impacting talent development in 2019, as well as sign up for our newsletter to get updates on everything that is going on. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you got value out of this show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share with your colleagues and friends. We want to spread the word and add as much value to the talent development community as possible, and we need your help. As always, you can find more information and connect with me at talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Take care.